Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. Father, we thank you so much for the word that you have for us today. We come as hearers ready to hear, receivers ready to receive what you would have for us. I pray that every block or hindrance that would keep us from entering in to where you'd have us go today would be eliminated in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word, Father. We're here to praise you, honor, and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. So my grandfather was an avid golfer. He was a retired Air Force colonel, served in World War II. He was one of the planes, actually, that got up in Pearl Harbor. He was stationed there. And, um, oh, I'm getting, how are we doing? Yeah, that sounds better. Um, So he loved to golf. He was an avid golfer, and he would take his grandsons out sometimes to golf. And that's what he did all through his retirement. And one of his grandsons was a baseball player, and so he had never been golfing before, so he takes them all out, and he says, okay, I'm going to show you which clubs to use. I'm going to show you how to adjust your swing and hit off the tee, but there's one thing that's really, really important. You make sure that you swing all the way through and you hit it as hard as you can. Now, if you're not a golfer, It means that by hole nine, you have so worn out your arms that you can no longer swing. Golfers are not meant to swing as hard as they can. They're meant to swing all the way through, but he had this way about him. And so as he's laughing through the nine holes and everybody's arms are getting tired, he's smirking and winking and laughing, and they finally pick up on what he's doing and said, what? is going on. I'm too tired to swing this thing anymore. And he said, it's called gamemanship, my son. There is this way about our family that's called gamemanship. It's where we try to take a competitive edge. Like in family, you want each other to win, right? But you also don't want to lose. So I want you to win as long as I don't lose would be a really good way of saying gamemanship. Gamemanship is that competitive edge. Maybe our, your pursuit looks a little bit different. Gaining a competitive advantage is always the goal, though, right? When you're playing a game, you want to win. And that's okay. I don't think it's like immoral or anything to have a competitive edge. But sometimes we take these gamemanship things into the church, and we get a little bit uh, convoluted in our thinking. It seems harmless enough until there it is right before our eyes. Where did it come from? Where the, there's this Englishman by the name of Herbert Spencer 
who was famous at the end of the 19th century. He was famous for coining the phrase survival of the fittest. Now, we may think that they came from Darwin and the origin of species, but Herbert Spencer wrote a book called The Principles of Biology that came out actually eight years prior to this, and he actually coined this term that Darwin um, built on. He was a self-educated philosopher who brought about a new school of thought on social structure, economics, psychology, biology. In essence, Spencer believed that competition has a way of ruling out who is best, and if you are the best, then you deserve to be alive. Best equals good, good equals most deserving. Spencer was staunchly opposed to socialism of any kind. He didn't want any government influence at all. It was his work that inspired the merciless capitalism of Andrew Carnegie. It holds fast to imperialism, and imperialism would be that way of taking territory and owning things, a country's expansion in that way for its own gain, and utilitarianism, which means that if the outcome is right or beneficial for most, then it's right. And lastly, capitalism, this economic and political system that brings trade and industry for profit in the private sector. We know that one. All of this is summed up in what we would call social Darwinism. Are you surprised by that? It's the survival of the fittest and that only the strong will survive. And it's a very convenient theory as long as you're the best the brightest, the smartest, the most athletic, the most innovative, the most beautiful, and I would venture to say nowadays the most provocative. Interestingly enough, at the same time this is coming out at the very height of social Darwinism, the gospel comes and pokes holes into this theory. This man named Walter Rauschenbusch, he was wrestling with what he called the uncoupling of religious life and social life. What he saw was people in his congregation, people like Andrew Carnegie, who owned big businesses or were part of the Industrial Revolution, and they were sitting on one side, and the very people that they were exploiting were sitting on the other side. And the people over here believed that there was a holiness of what they were doing even at the expense of someone else. And he saw this uncoupling of the religious and social life, and he had a really hard time with it, wouldn't you? That the child that was sitting there after working 60 hours a week was sitting in a row across from the one who was employing him. And that happened. He saw that Based on how Jesus lived, it was the duty of the believer to improve the social conditions of people. This became known as the social gospel movement. He created a systematic theology about it, and it moved our country in tangible ways. People like Dr. Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, Lucy Mason and women's suffrage, they were heirs of this intellectual movement. Alcoholics Anonymous, child labor laws, other areas of social justice and organized 
food pantry, Salvation Army, the YMCA, they were all forged from this. The makings of social conditions improving in our country came out of this merging of Christ's life and helping those who are suffering. We are evidence now, if you think about both of these schools of thought, do you see how they come together sometimes in the church? How we can wrestle through our ideals about capitalism and also wrestle through our ideas about the social gospel movement? Do we sometimes get confused on which side we land on? Even when we reach out to the homeless in our community, I'll hear comments about believers questioning, how far should I go? Should I only give them money or also food? Should I only give them food or do I give them money too? What am I to do? And we kind of wrestle in this tension always. We spent three times this year going to the DR because we're establishing relationships. And some might wonder, is that too much? Is it still too little since there's so much work to be done? And we sit right in this tension as gospel believers. We see evidence of both of these schools of thought even as we sit in the middle of this We Get to Give series. It makes us uncomfortable as we wrestle with questions like, why does the church need my money? And when we see famous preachers up there and we think, wow, they have a lot. Why do, I need, why do they need more of that from me? Or I want them to succeed, but not better than me. I want them to win, but not if I lose. Do we see how we wrestle with this tension inside of us? On the other spectrum, the social gospel might have us saying that we need to live among the suffering in order to truly live like Christ. We would need to take on a vow of poverty to position ourselves rightly in the humility and remove ourselves from any kind of materialism. We go back and forth and back and forth and never really feel settled on where we're living. I love what Rauschenbusch taught. He, he had one basic tenet that I think is important as we wrestle with these questions. And it's that our focus cannot be on what the church is doing, but rather what the kingdom of God is doing. These aren't always the same thing, and we'd be wise to understand the difference. See, it is God's desire for his kingdom to expand in us and through us. If there is one point I can make for you today, and I will make it again and again and again, it is this. God wants his kingdom his desire is for his kingdom to expand in us and through us. And the church is simply a mechanism to make this possible. When the church is doing her job and staying under the spirit and authority of the kingdom of God and his truth, then she can be corrected. She can be agile. She can be innovative. And she can expand. And that is God's desire. It gets really topsy-turvy when the church believes she's the answer to the world's problems. We are not the answer. We are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. That's it. His kingdom reigning on earth is the answer. And I don't know if you want to be one he uses to get it here, but I sure do. 
the expansion of the kingdom of God in us and through us will have us in both bold and humble positions. And that's where we tow that line of tension, in both bold and humble positions. If we get this truth and we believe in how he positioned us, then the gates of hell won't stand a chance because he will be building the church. There will be nothing that cannot be accomplished in us and through us. Nothing will be impossible because we are simply focused on his kingdom advancing. So this humble position of being used by God requires three things from the believer. First, it is to worship the Lord. First, it's to worship the Lord. The kingdom expands in us through worshiping the Lord. I don't know of anybody in my life that exudes this better than my sister. I'm glad you're our leader because if it was somebody else I was thinking of, I don't think you would be right for this position, but you are the person that came to my mind. And so um, I just want to honor you because it is your birthday um, and because I love you so much. I have grown up with this girl singing in the seat next to me in our minivan my whole life. So I've had the, the, the amazing, I think I'm anointed to hear your voice. Like God chose me and said, I'm going to put you right here next to her so you can just hear your whole life, her voice. And what I love is, you know, this year was difficult um, when we got a call in January about uh, the health problems that Ruthie was facing. Um, and I remember driving over to the hospital. I knew it wasn't good when they called and said, hey, I need you to come right away, and they wouldn't tell me anything else. So it was about a 25-minute drive, and I was already shaking about, like, what is this going to be? And I said, Lord, I need to hear your voice before I hear anything else. I have to hear what you're saying. Because if I hear what you're saying and I can agree with it, then I can move through this differently than if I have to process through what somebody else is saying first. I need to know what you're saying, Father. And he just said, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She will laugh at the days to come. And I repeated it for 20 minutes in my car. I didn't know what was coming on the other side of that. And it was the first words I was able to share with her as she shared that she had a stroke. And those weeks that came, the whole house had to be dark for her. And as I would come over, she would just desire to sing words. And it's what brought her out and back into this place where she's standing here now, miraculously. When she worships, it's because she's seeing some place that we need to go. She's seeing where the presence of God is, and she's saying, not here, but here. Come here. Come to where his presence is. You're going to miss it if you stay right back here. Come to this way. That's why she's saying, repeat this over and over. Sing this again. Do it louder. Move your body, because there's a place that he wants you to come. And if I'm doing my job, I've got to take you there. And there was a place in that dark room the Lord was saying, come here, this is where I am. And she fought and fought and fought to worship in the midst of that. And here she stands. When she sings of his steadfastness, it's because she's watched him be steadfast in her. Worship 
was her priority, even in the midst of her health struggles. We see it also in Exodus 12:31. Now, in the middle of this, Egypt has been enslaving the Israelites for 430 years, and they've been crying out in worship to the Lord, crying out to him. And Moses gets the call. It's time to lead my people into worship. I want them to be able to worship me. So go and tell Pharaoh to release them. And of course, his heart hardens, and the plagues come, and a series of events come. But this was imperialism at its finest. Egypt was a massive, massive entity. They were positioning themselves and taking territories and enslaving people and doing it all because they believed that they were their own God. So Pharaoh sends for Moses when he's finally humbled by the death of so many. He sends for Moses and Aaron and tells them to leave Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone, but bless me as you leave. Verse 35 says, And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians, this is so amazing, the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth as they went. Can you imagine such a scene? That they have been locked into slavery for all of this time. And suddenly they go to leave and the favor of the Lord comes upon them. And the hearts of the Egyptians change because they want the blessing of that nation. And they start giving all their wealth away to the people. There are three reasons why this happened. And it shows that God is governing over them the entire time, that he is the highest authority, that he is the one that, is, that it's necessary for us to worship. See, we know that when there's a conquering nation, it's to the victors that belong the spoils. So as they're conquering this nation, the spoils are actually being given to them and laid at their feet. But not only that, they were owed money for all the work that they had done that whole time. And here it comes back to them. Not only that, but Pharaoh thinks he's the highest authority, but we know that God owns everything. The earth is the Lord and the fullness of it belongs to him. So if he says you are to have something, it is yours no matter what man says. It will become yours by the hand of God. There were reasons why this was given to them. They were about to go into the desert. What do they need gold and silver and all of this for? Not only that, but as he, they step out, he's giving them water from a rock and quail and manna from heaven. They have all that they need, and yet they are walking in this wealth as slaves, walking out as slaves, walking into this new place, completely covered, highly favored. Can you imagine such a thing? The Israelites leave Egypt 
they get up and get organized. They have some basic things established for order's sake, and then God gives them the instructions on Mount Sinai on how to worship him, on who he is, on what kind of place he'll reside in. And he gives them this instruction on how to build the tabernacle so they could worship him. The entire reason that God freed them was for them to worship. We can't forget that. It's not just for their own freedom. It's also for them to worship him who freed them. He wants the kingdom to expand in us, and that's what that means. And everything that he gives us, say everything, everything, everything that he gives us is for that purpose. Every single thing that you have is for the purposes of worshiping God and letting his kingdom expand in us and through us. We have got to change this perspective that you are owed something so that you can have it and maintain it and keep it. It is not for you. It is not of ourselves. It is not for ourselves. Lest we start to boast about it. You hear me? We are to use this to worship and expand the kingdom of God. And by the way, just a side note, this is why we say in missional community that we don't divide our groups. It is not biblical to have division in groups. We say multiply because that is a biblical principle. When you are at a group and your missional community is getting so large that you need to multiply, you are doing what God commanded to be fruitful and to multiply. If we say divide, that's not the expansion of the kingdom. That is a scarcity mindset. You divide a piece of fruit when there's not enough to go around. Don't you? I have to cut this fruit so I could share it and share it because there's not enough. But when there's enough fruit that it's multiplied, everybody gets more. And there's a tree. More come down. More come down. That is fruitfulness. That's the expansion of the kingdom. We multiply. I will die on that hill, okay? I will die there. <laughs> I will not move off of that, and I don't get into semantics very much, but this one, you guys, it is not biblical to divide. There we go. Okay. It's just my little side preaching moment. Okay. Right away, though, God gave order and instruction on how to worship and they all agreed. So Moses went to go get more instructions. So they all had agreement that this is how they were to move forward. This is how they were to worship. Yes, they all said, we agree. And then we know what happens, right? He had a whole plan laid out. God gave them the blueprints. He's back there up on the mountain with Joshua. God had already funded the work for the tabernacle to be built. We just asked the question, why did they need all this stuff? It was to build the tabernacle. They needed linen and scarlet. They needed thread. They needed gold and silver and bronze. All the things that had been given to them, they were to use to build this tabernacle. What did they do when they're up on the mountain? The people are down below and they're like, I don't know. This is taking a long time. So I got these earrings and these bracelets, and we have a goldsmith, so why don't we just melt this stuff down real quick and put up a god we can see 
and worship it. And they didn't hate what they were doing. They were having so much fun celebrating and in revelry that Joshua and Moses are up on the mountain and they could hear them having a party. The idol worship that we have often feels a lot of fun. That's why we can be so deceived by it. They didn't know. They had had an agreement with God, but our knowledge, and he had told them over and over, don't have any other gods before me. Don't serve anybody else. Our knowledge doesn't always move to action. And even sometimes our agreements don't move us into action. So they used what the Egyptians had given them to make an idol for themselves. But good thing we don't ever do this. <sighs> they decided to create themselves a god to worship instead of worshiping the one that led and created them. And so doing this, the idol grew literally before their eyes. They were so deceived, they couldn't even see how this was disobedient to God. But it was necessary for them to worship because that's what we were built and designed to do. Whatever you presume you need, you will feed, and whatever you decide to feed will grow. And it grew right in front of them. I need to worship. I need to worship. I need to worship. This is why you called us out here, God. I need to worship. And so you're taking too long to give me the thing that I need. And in my impatience, I'm going to start to worship something else. Because I can't see you the way I need to see you. Or the way I've always seen you before. Or the way that other people see You will use your money to worship. You will worship you or another person or a sport or an entertainment or a ministry. We will use our money to worship. So I have these uh, reasons, 12 reasons, Christians don't attend sporting events. I'm going to see if you guys recognize any of these. Number one. The coach never came to visit me. <laughs> Number two, every time I went, they asked for money. Number three, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number four, the seats were very hard. Number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. I never went back. Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Preach! <laughs> Number eight, the band played some songs I had never heard before. How dare they? Number nine, the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. I love you guys. Number ten... My parents took me too many, to too many games when I was growing up. 
Number 10, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyway. I love you guys. Number 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. A little fun to remind us of our worship. Oh, I love it when um, somebody says, I'm having a hard time about I don't hear it here. I hear it actually a lot outside about how people are um, feel about their church that they go to. I always invite them here. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, if they're complaining about something, I'm like, good thing that we didn't show up to worship you. We came to worship the Lord. <laughs> if we worshiped you, it might look different, and that's the point of the beginning of our story, right? All right. So you might say, Pastor Aaron, these people that were at the bottom of Mount Sinai and they were worshiping this other God, they weren't allowed to go up the mountain with Moses. He, God created a boundary for them to wait for instruction. And that's what they were to do. They were to wait. And we don't love that waiting season. We want to move on. But I'm here to tell you that right now, Overflow Church is in that waiting season. We are waiting to see the fullness of the vision of the Lord has given us for this property. Right now, we need to prepare our hearts to see the fullness of what he has spoken. Our staff has gone up to the mountain, so to speak, listened to the voice of the Lord to hear what he's saying about what he wants to do on this land. And we have some vision. The Lord has given some instruction and some vision. Do you want to hear about it? All right. I figured you would. So it includes an expansion of the patio, an expansion of this building, the addition of another building for our next gen and our creative arts ministries, a coffee shop, a coffee truck, new offices for our pastoral staff, a gaga ball pit, yeah! a pickleball court, yeah! a walking path, and more. And we're aligning our hearts toward worship and intimacy right now so that the, when the moment comes and God calls us and we have to be ready for action, we are ready. We haven't spent that money someplace else or not done what he's called us to do to prepare to be able to go into that place. We have to wait on the Lord. I remember one day years ago, like probably seven years ago, I was in worship here and I, I don't get a lot of visions about angels and stuff like that. Like I, I see things, but not, I don't usually see angels. But I saw this giant angel probably from here to the ceiling, huge. And he turned and he pushed the back of this open. And I saw that expansion happen. And I remember coming up and running to tell Pastor Chuck at the time, I wasn't on staff or anything. But I was like, I saw something, and I'm like shaking. I knew it was the Lord. And that has never left my mind. It has only gotten stronger as we've talked about what God wants to do in this place. His desire, remember, is to expand in us and through us. That is his desire. 
Isaiah 42, 6 says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison who sits in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring up, I will tell you of them. His desire is to tell us what he wants to do so that we're ready when it's time to do them. And he's doing that right now, taking us by the hand and showing us what he wants to do. The second thing believers need to have for that expansion of the kingdom is unity. We have to have unity. So they cleansed the, the Israelites of the people who had been worshiping in idolatry. They all were removed so that they could come together and worship the Lord in unity. Their hearts were united, and it was the time for the call to action by Moses. And because it was the right time, they did so willingly. So check out Exodus 35.5. Moses, after all of the instruction, he says, Okay, it's time. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And he lists, like literally, all the things that the Egyptians had given them. Gold, silver, bronze, scarlet, linen, and then it goes down to verse 10, and it says, okay, another call to action. Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. And he lists all of that out. Verse 21 was their response. It says, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all showing hearts were willing. Verse 29 says, So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to who? The Lord. The Lord. Those that gave were giving to the Lord. But it came through and to the hands of people. And this is where it's hard for us. Because people are human. Like that's not new knowledge. But people are human and people sometimes make stupid decisions. Right? They don't handle money well. And we've all been a part of that. We've had experiences sometimes where somebody didn't use money wisely. And it's caused us to be suspicious in the church. But remember, the church is a mechanism for the gifts of the Lord to be dispersed. There's no other way for this to go. It goes through the hands of people. So we have to set up safeguards, which we've done at this church, to eliminate opportunities for funds to be misused. That's just the way it is. 
This is what God has commanded us to do. And when we give it through these proper channels, it's to go to the proper channels and to be used in the right way. And I know that we don't love to talk about this stuff. I don't love to talk. This like is not my favorite series. Can I be honest about that? Because it feels uncomfortable when we talk about money. And when we talk about money in the church because of that tension that we feel. But this is the way. This is the Old Testament way too. So how do we see this paralleled in the New Testament? Let's talk about that. Because it's not always necessarily a building project. We're expanding, but a gospel movement through the church. So let's look at Acts 4.32. It's a demonstration of the gospel that goes beyond me and Jesus, beyond let's worship him together, and extends to the social level of caring for the neighbor. So it says in Acts 4.32, all the believers were united in heart. So you see that they were united. They had the unity and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, which begs the question, who did they think it belonged to? They felt that what they owned, it uses the same word. What they owned, they did not own. Who owned it? Yes, the Lord. Because of this belief, it says they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give it to those in need. There were no needy people among them. Could you imagine how much influence the church had if she lived like that? We know this is the kingdom of God because when I look and think about heaven, there are no needy people there. Will there be any need in heaven? No. And so that is the kingdom of God coming to earth. And it's the people of God who say, until it's like what it is in heaven, here I'm not moving from this position. This is my humble and bold stance that among us there will be no needy people. And when there's one who is needy outside of those doors, they know where to come to find help. They know where they can go and no longer be needy. Because we have everything from spirit, soul, and body to help them be met in their need. This is how the gospel expands in us and through us. This is the bold and humble position of God's people. And it wasn't that they gave their tithe each week, which is the 10%. It's that they literally sold the field they owned to be a part of the movement of the gospel and to contribute to it themselves, individually and collectively. They had already found the treasure in the field of grace and sold everything to live from that place. We know that everyone did not sell their homes because... People met in the homes and in the temple. They went from temple and house to house each week. So we know that there were some that weren't moved or, or God called them to sell their homes because they still had to meet someplace. But the ones who were called sold their stuff. So 
So the third way that we see the expansion of God's kingdom is through a spirit-filled you and me. The spirit-filled you and me is how we see the expansion of the kingdom of God in us and through us. Verse 24 says, As soon as Peter and John were released from prison, that all the believers lifted their voices in prayer to God. They were released because the presence of God would expand more with their release than their imprisonment. This is why God released them. Because of their release, the people rejoiced and united in prayer, and new faith came for them as they prayed for the demonstration of the power of God. They prayed bold prayers. They prayed for their city and region and culture to change, and it did, and it would, and as they were, because they were not afraid to take that stand. They weren't afraid of what it would take them, what it would cost them. They didn't go out and buy guns. They got on their knees and prayed together. Their, the Roman Empire in that day was far worse than it is for us today. It was far more violent, far more oppressive than how we're living right now. And God's people came in and said, I will not take that position. I will be humble and bold in my position. I will get on my knees and I will pray. And do you know what happened in that moment? The entire place shook. It shook with the presence of God and filled every believer This is the picture we need. With the Spirit of God in us now, we are without excuse to boldly obey. We cannot be idle worshipers or distracted, entitled, unjust, afraid, or full of pride. Galatians 6.3 says, If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Those are Paul's words, not mine. Just the messenger here today. We are not that important. Yet God decides and appoints us to be his ambassador in this way. That's why we get to give. It is a privilege that he would call us out from that place. Rauschenbusch wrote a book published in 1907 in response to the poverty he had seen while working and living in Hell's Kitchen, New York. In this book, 17 prayers of his are published. One of them has him lamenting and interceding for the rich. He says, We remember also with sorrow and compassion the idle rich who have vigor of body and mind yet produce no useful thing. Lord, help us. I'm not preaching to you. I am preaching to me all the places that I've gone, all the suffering that I've seen, there is still a want in my heart for things and a place that I want to worship something else sometimes because it feels easier. It just does. It feels easier to be distracted and not remember, to not be well or healed. But harder is better. It is better. It is the better road of suffering. 
we suffer in distraction or we suffer in idol worship or we suffer at the hands of the gods that we create because they always need more of us. The better road of suffering is the one that Christ laid. So I want to ask us, are we the generation of believers who will sell a field and use the money to fund the expansion of God's kingdom? Are we the generation of believers who will take a year's salary worth of perfume and pour it open at Jesus' feet in worship? Are we the generation of believers who use their homes, their talents, their time to get nearest to those who are suffering, to get nearest to the poorest among us? Are we the generation of believers who will exchange our guns for prayer? Are we the generation of believers who will let others win, even if it means we lose? I believe we are. Like, I wouldn't be here. I couldn't preach this message anyplace else than in this room with you because I've seen you do this. I believe that's why our foreign and local missions reach is expanding. I believe that's why we are on the move as a church always. This is why we are tired and full because we're doing the work that expands the kingdom. We have found the better thing, the most important thing. And because of it, we are producing something useful and eternal. I have felt so thankful to be on staff here this week when I was thinking about what I'm thankful for. Like, I'm thankful for a job that I love. I really love this job. And I loved the job I had before. I was in real estate, and I really loved that. And if we can be honest, I made a heck of a lot more money than I did here, which is okay, because I love this more. I love this so much, and I loved it even when I did it as a volunteer before I was ever paid. And I never thought that I could be on paid staff. It has leveled up my prayers for this place, how I think about God's kingdom, Like, you all have done that and given that gift to me. And we have an opportunity to do that same thing with Pastor Brenda. We are in the middle of this we get to give. And there is something, a new anointing that's established when we come into agreement and make a new place and a new position for somebody to be on their knees for us. Like, it's a big deal. So we have the we get to give. We've been in the midst of this series And the big one at the bottom has been this 70,000 to exceed our annual giving budget by 20,000. That 20,000 is the overage that we need to be able to bring Pastor Brenda on staff. But we have a discrepancy there that needs to be filled, and that's the other 50,000. We also said we wanted to increase benevolence for Christmas so that the families in need at our church would have a Christmas, so there would be no needy among us. We gave a $1,000 Dominican Republic gift card drive. We are about $120 away from meeting that goal. And we leave on Wednesday, so I believe it's going to happen today. And a well drilling in Nigeria to serve our partners there, $1,000. And then the Christmas foster drive for Bibles. We've got more coming in, so if you've got those, just go ahead and bring them up. If you've got Bibles that you brought today, 
that'll extend there. So this is what we're doing. Now, I, I have to tell you, this has been so exciting to me as we've prayed and we've watched God move in a mighty way. I think we have a slide up of the card that we have. On one side, what we're doing is we're saying we want to be like the giver. So the giver gives, and so we're going to give even as we wait to see him give to us. Even as we wait, we're going to take the same bold and humble posture of our giver, and we are going to give even in the midst of our need. And so we've said, I'm trusting God, the giver for this. This is the thing. This is the mountain I need to move. I need him to move it. I need the kingdom of God to come in this place specifically. And as I wait for him to do that, I'm choosing to be a giver with. And that's representative of our heart. To date, and we've done this for two weeks, the pledges that have come in, are you ready to see? It's coming. I like it. It's going to be good when it gets there. Come on. That's amazing. This is what we are praying we will see fully as you give by the end of the year. As we give by the end of the year. So if you're ready to make your contribution, you can use the QR code um, on the previous slide. And you can just scan that. I don't know if it'll scan with that. Yeah. You can start making that contribution now so that we can watch God astound us with his love. Isn't that something? Are we ready to do this together? Are we ready to be that? I've, I know I've made a bold call to us today. I've made a very bold call. Do you guys feel that? Okay. We're moving, though. He's moving us. So will you stand with me? I just feel this place of prayer that we have had some wrong agreements about what it means to give to the church. That we have so thought it was going to the hands of people. And we have a mistrust of people. But it is going to the Lord to his kingdom and anyone that doesn't hold it with that kind of affection and that kind of humility and that kind of honor I'm so sorry for that I'm so sorry that they didn't steward well what you gave in faith I'm so sorry that it was squandered or misappropriated pray you would do the bold and humble thing and forgive them. I'll stand in the gap for them and ask for your forgiveness for the places that they caused you to not trust. The men and women of God who hold the establishing of his kingdom in the highest regard. Who want nothing more than his kingdom 
to be done on earth as it is in heaven. establish trust again over time with you. That we would be the ones to show you that it's better than what you've seen. That you would be willing to trust again. And as you give, as you contribute to what the Lord has called us to do, to expand and to move, to end this year in where he's positioned us to go, I pray for his mighty hand of favor that every place that you have been held captive, that you would be released in Jesus' name and that the one who captured you where you feel enslaved like the Israelites that they would be the ones to send you and to provide for you that God will move on their hearts to bring back what has been stolen from you to give you more than you could ever ask or think or imagine that you would be positioned with heavenly favor because he owns it all and you're an heir to his kingdom you are an heir to his kingdom and he has a blessing afforded and apportioned to you as his son and as his daughter and maybe you haven't seen that yet but I'm praying for faith to grow in you right now for faith to grow in you right now. And for the practical application of stewardship, for you to be a student of stewarding what God has given you for his kingdom in Jesus' name. But oh, I pray, I pray for the favor of God upon his people, that all would be witnesses to who he is because of you, because of the way you give it away because of the way you don't hold tight to any of it, because of the way there is no needy among you, there is no hungry among you, because of that, I pray for his abounding love and favor and prosperity to be upon you. You are a blessed people. You are not the lowest. You are the greatest in the kingdom of God. You are his best, you are his highest, you are his favored, you are his favorite. I release the heavenly blessing of generosity and unity and spirit filled you. May you come with a boldness of the spirit, the Holy Spirit rising up and bubbling in you in a way that you have never known it before. And may every gift that you give expand and build the kingdom of God 
in you and through you in the mighty name of Jesus.